0: and innovation podcast from team defense in today's logner 18 talks we hear from four organizations involved in supporting defense innovation initiatives dasa Ariel, rco and jhub more details of which can be found on our website
1: and we spoke almost as if we were looking in the long term some of which is r&d but most of what we talk about really is rapid adaptation of capabilities that are already out there or are already relatively high readiness um, and what you're going to hear this afternoon is the bit that i know that you're all really interested in. Which is how do we do something quickly and where's the money and how do I get at it. So you're going to hear quite a bit about that this afternoon. Um, so for that, what we have in this next section is four of the Defence Innovation Initiatives here represented um, from different areas, currently in development for logistics within their department. The session will see all four present, first of all, and then will be followed by a Q&A session at the end. So to introduce all four, if I may, first of all, from the Defence and Security Accelerator, or DASA for short, we have Dr. Adam Stane, who is the themed competition lead. Adam ran an analytics lab supporting uh, pharma and has extensive background in delivering innovation solutions for government whilst working in UK research and innovation, so UKRI, um, and GoScience to deliver cross-government R&D strategies and designing effective mechanisms to deliver them at pace. Uh, supporting themed innovation activities is one of DAS's core operational activities, and Adam leads the team which supports all themed activity. Uh, from Ariel, or the Army Rapid Innovation and Experimentation Laboratory, we have FM uh, Colonel Andrew Gascoigne, next in the line here, goes out of then. Um, Andrew is a logistics officer within the Army, spending time in Army logistics within the Ministry of Defense and Logistics Policy and Senior Instructor within the Royal Logistics Corps Officer Training Wing. He is currently part of the Army Innovation Team and amongst other things, responsible for AERI, the Army's accelerator. i welcome, much. Um, next, we have the, yeah, is it next? That's at the end yeah, this time. Um, the RAS of the Royal Air Force Rapid Capability Office. Um, from the Rapid Capability Office, we have Squadron Leader Chris McIntyre, um, Chris is a communications and electronics engineer who has served with 90 signals unit for Tactical Communications Week the Joint Service Signals Unit at RAF Digby Cyprus and Cheltenham and with the 5 Squadron Sentinel Airborne Standoff Radar he now acts as a project manager within the Rapid Capability Office specialising in communications interoperability and last but not least we have uh, Major Nick they haven't written your name down. <laughs> Krikaninsky. So I'll give it a go anyway. Um, and although an Army headquarter officer, he is currently seconded, seconded to the J Nick has done a variety of logistic jobs during his time in the Army, including capability lead for the joint user, command, control, communications, computation, information, surveillance, and reconnaissance um, systems, command and control, and operation systems, subunit command within the logistics unit and as the officer responsible for managing fuel contracts out in Afghanistan. Nick's work currently sees him working on army logistics information exploitation, exploiting opportunities to improve army operational logistics information, and exploring the current and future means of getting best value from investments in data and information. So ladies and gentlemen, if I could ask you a welcome your panel, and then in which case I'll hand over
2: you. Those who don't know me, my name um, Thank you very much for the introduction. I'm just going to quickly introduce DASA. I'm hoping in a couple of years' time I will not have to introduce DASA because everyone will more heard of DASA, but there are still one or two people who haven't. Um, we fund exploitable innovations across defence and security um, and for the UK government. We were set up or, uh, out of the defence initiative initiative um, And as well as the Defence Innovation Fund being set up at the same time, DASA was created as the arm to do the engagement with the suppliers and to run the competitions. So DIU itself does not run any competitions. It's about 800 million pounds. They need others to spend the money for them. So for those of you who are aware of CDE, we uh, consume CDE as part of that merger, but we are certainly broader than that going forward. What's the scope? Well, as a job description, any level of development, any science or technology, anyone with a good idea, and any exploitation pathway. Well, that's quite broad, (laughs) that's a joke, but what we do is we deliver a range of these services to our defense and security customers. Um, And we have a new cloud-based submission service based on Salesforce, those of you aware of Salesforce, which will hopefully speed everything up. Uh, For those of you who used to us as an organization, there were eight, people in CDE running one or two competitions a year. This is better now. We have got uh, 52 staff at the moment. We have expanded rapidly, and that is to take on all the new work that is hopefully coming our way, and you'll see hopefully it is coming our way from all the clients. Uh, these slides, I'll rattle through them. The slides will be available after the presentation. We have a range of core services. One of them is outreach. We have um, people running around the country to try and find new customers. Um, so new suppliers to come in. We have run funding support services, uh, we try and work with new innovations, great collaborations and partnership. There's a range of services there rather than just running in a competition. Uh, these are our standard slides for suppliers. Why work with us? Well we generally get 100 percent funding for most of the initiatives we run. Uh, we focus across government, so we have defence and security, so police, army could have um, joint use and that's fine for us to deal with. Uh, and we do have technical advice for people, um, from DSTL especially, in working up their bids. And actually, we have very relevant terms and conditions. Um, DEFCOM 705, those of you who are such things, basically mean you keep the IP. So we don't steal your IP, you don't take a cost, you get 100% of the money, you can keep the IP. What we want is your idea accelerated. And that's the whole point of it um, being out there. Our Vancouver operational model is we have an outreach function that runs around by to find people to address the frontline commands' uh, challenges. We then have competitions and other services <coughs> we run in the middle. And then we have an exploitation team now which is expanding to try and make sure that stuff is handed off to the frontline commands, work with ENS and ISS, to make sure these things do not sit on the shelf. And that whole model is about accelerating every step of that process. So Those of you aren't aware, we now have a range of our innovation partners. Um, they have regionally based based on that map, and the idea is if you are a company in that local region, you just chat to the innovation partner about opportunities that are coming up, try and understand how to improve your bids, if you have a failed bid, and all that. So they, they are sort of a, a critical friend for you, ahead of processes that might come in. And all of them have a range of experience across defence and security. Um, at the other end of the coin, we have the exploitation team, who are now working very closely with all the hubs, and we're pressing the frontline commands to try and make sure once the ideas have reached a certain level of maturity, we can accelerate them into service. Um, and this from the complexity point of view of the exploitation enterprise as we're calling it, we've got the assessment process, we've got the create the enterprise, which is us um, saying that we have to create something that is going to be called through, and then we have to accelerate the project into the frontline commands. We have to come up with demonstrations that are effective, make the case of the frontline commands. Um, and then we hand it off. And this is a key point. Data does not procure. We cannot procure something on the R we cannot buy a new tank for Army. What we can do is help work on a tank program and hand it off DNS as part of stuff. So we try and accelerate that bit and we try and make sure we hand it off the next stage of the call. Really crudely there are three basic forms of operation. We have an open call, we have thematic calls which are based on individual subjects, topics picked by the customer. And then we have a range of other services that might not involve competition. Uh, for those of you aren't aware, a new submission service came in over the summer. Uh, it's much simpler and easier to use. It is based on the old system, so a lot of the text a lot of the views will be very similar. But it is very easy to use. Uh, I apologise to UKRI colleagues, but our calls are slightly easier to fill in. it's nice. very deliberate for people to um, come into us uh, as a cooperative, um, cooperative model. Uh, open call, if you are not aware, we have five to six times a year we have an open call. So bids can come in, including in the logistics, to that five or six times a year. Uh, there's a rapid um, version, higher TRL stuff and there's an emerging for lower TRL. DIU and CSA's budget currently funds that, a certain amount of money. Uh, we usually get in 50 to 100 bids each one of those rounds. And we fund usually about 10% of bids get funded. Um, so people can always resubmit bids if they um is particularly like them, and sometimes individual commands will actually add money to the pot to actually fund things they particularly want. So be aware of that, that is for the of defense of security, an open pot of money that regularly runs for you to do some piloting work, the sums of money are quite small, relatively speaking, but it's always there, so it's definitely worth engaging with that because it might be a, an opportunity for you to take some work together. So something that's very important is DASA does not, after the opening call, for themed competitions we don't have budget. I don't, unfortunately, have a hundred million pounds to run for competitions. I have to have a customer, frontline command, the police, Home Office, other government customers come to me saying I need a competition. So we run those competitions on behalf of the customers, and we focus those competitions on the customer need. If they want slow competition with multiple phases, we can do it that way. If they want a very rapid, small competition, very focused, we can do that too. And that doesn't just mean competitions. We do solicitation and market capabilities. Um, We might do scoping events, hack which I'll come on to. uh, Or we may have large multi-phase competitions. So any customers in the room who haven't thought about using DASA and stuff, again, come and chat to us. So at the moment, those are all customers we have run competitions with. So we are now um, working on something with all the forces. We've done stuff at the Home Office, Department of Transport. We're doing something with the CPS, and we're working with a number of police forces as well. And we have, as um, Andrew mentioned earlier, done um, joint working with UKRI now as well. and But something also to be aware of, we might actually also run market surveys. Now, there's a number of reasons we might run these. Under the CTE model, they just competition. But sometimes a customer wants to know what's happening. Is it even me where going to my two-star to ask him for money? Are there ideas out there? Um, I need to focus the competition. I want to do something. Everyone <coughs> um, has a different view of what we should do. Can we get the community in tell us how to be called. So you will sometimes see these. There's one um, live on the website at the moment around wearable technology that have, and that's live on the website at the moment. We want people to get ideas. We want people to see that um, it's, it's feasible. And we also do other things around market capability reports where we will survey the community. Mm-hmm. Now that can be very useful because if we survey the community and realise there's some really good um, expertise out there, that can then make um, the case for future funding support. Currently, uh, all of these are live on the website in one way or another. So these are all competitions we've run recently. For this audience, um, there are going to be future calls on logistics. So, we are doing a, I got a slide on it because we have to finalized detail. We are doing a hackathon next month to defense logistics, where we're going to have a three-day hackathon to address some of the issues. So please, if you're interested in defense logistics IT, keep an eye on the DASA website in the next week or so. That should go live in those details. detail. We're going to use a third-party supplier to run that. but we'll keep an eye on that. We are also planning an event for Defense Logistics for a pre-competition scoping. We're just finalising that at the moment. Defense Logistics wants us to help them with the AI machine learning to actually help all the different bits of the Defense Logistics system talk to each other. So at the moment, there's about 450 different IT systems. Some of them are legacy systems which are not encoded in the 1960s, which no one has anymore, and some of them are the latest... That. So, actually, being able to talk to real world systems and handle the data from those systems is going to be an interesting challenge. So, we're going to have a market scoping event ahead of a call launch for that, and again, we'll probably have that in November. Ideally, we're going to coincide with the hackathon, so you can go to both if you're interested. So, those are two things that are happening now in logistics. I say all these competitions live now that have potentially elements that may appeal to many of you. But actually talking about the past and the other competitions, one of the key things is we're working on the last mile, which has got a lot of initiatives already been mentioned um, today. Working with UKRI on that, um, and that has got lots of potential. We are trying at the moment to work out what to do with the next case funding for that. But we're demoing on Salisbury We so not only are we wanting to do demos with the and Scotland in the winter, we also want to de- demo with Army on Source We in November. Um, I don't know whose idea it was in November, but it's a good test of the technology, especially for wind. Uh, <coughs> so, um, if you are wanting to engage with us, either as a supplier, there's a chance to venture on the system. This is a new system, we literally have just um, up, um, gone over to this over the summer, but Salesforce is one of the biggest collaboration systems in the world. Once you're registered, we'll be able to associate you with competitions, we'll be able to send you alerts more cleverly. Um, so it's worth um, engaging that. It's definitely worth keeping an eye, sign up for alerts, and then we all, all use Twitter. Somebody did say to me today they found out through a competition by following me on Twitter. So by all means following me, I will retweet all our competitions. It's quite a good way to do stuff like that. Uh, if you do have any questions, and if you want, especially if you want to register a list of interest, about the logistic events that are coming up, just email us in the inbox. We can keep an edge, we can make sure we email you all. I am planning to steal the list of all companies from this event, an email you're going to accomplish to go live, but most of you would be interested in those. But um, so please engage with us, uh, and there's a various ways of speaking to people who can the stop there. I have a microphone.
0: Yeah, General, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, a quick overview of uh, the Army's innovation activities at the moment. We have been around for just over one year now. And the next one didn't work. Yeah, that's worked. like that. Wonderful. Right, the Army Innovation. Firstly, mastering technology is not necessarily my forte. Uh, I am here to enable and facilitate other people who know what they're doing to uh, get after innovation. So um, in terms of how we do that, firstly I think it's useful to start with a definition to understand where we come from, from an army perspective in terms of getting after innovation. Um, and the definition is there, it's taken pretty much per basic from the uh, SDSR 15 definition, Capturing ideas, putting them into practice to overcome challenges and exploit opportunities. Mm. Deliberately wide, deliberately applicable to all levels of the organisation. And I think that that is key for um, the approach that we take. Also the second addendum to that, delivering operational advantage and business improvement. It is about improving how we do business in an operational environment, absolutely. But it's also about the efficiency that we can bring through that as well both the operational efficiency that clearly gives us an advantage when we are deployed, but also in the home base in order to give us the headroom so we can continue to do the good work that we are trying to get after. Um, As you see underneath, in what we have um, lovingly come to call the tube map, is an understanding of how we uh, try and get after that. Challenging and non-locking processes we've already heard about this morning, and that is a key area that we are trying to uh, push into. Most of the time, we are almost sort of doing a recce by fire, del- deliberately getting into ourselves into tricky situations where we can gather the evidence and then feed back in to challenge the status quo. Um, current processes are very good for doing fairly traditional approaches to acquisition and um, and a, a bureaucratic uh, approach to uh, fit in with our peacetime environment. But we have seen from our performance on operations that sometimes actually if you just change the processes to meet your actual desired outcomes, we can do things far better and far quicker. So uh, challenge um, is part of that. Collaboration, and this is collaboration not only um, across the defense um, environment, and we link in very regularly with uh, the innovation cells in the other frontline commands, up into DASA and the rest of the defense innovation unit. But also collaboration inside the army, pushing down and trying to break down some of the stovepipes that exist um, and help uh, provide an understanding to the wider organisation that whilst their work streams are exceptionally important, sitting there with an innovation uh, perspective, we're able to draw the lines between some of those work strands and allow them to gain some of the synergies that allow them to benefit uh, from a broader view of the activities. Um, The funding... Clearly money is everything. Um, it is one of the things that make us more attractive, um, clearly is the age-old age old adage. If you have a little bit more money, you are automatically more attractive than you ultimately would have been. We have access to the Defence Innovation Union funding by providing the uh, the mechanism to uh, allow the Army to access that £800 million over 10 years. We also have dedicated funding from DCAP, who is ultimately our two-star and the Army's two-star champion for innovation. Um, a budget of one million in this first year, rising to one and a half next year, and then two million as a steady state on from that. The challenges that we have gone through so far this year, we have fed back into the Defence Innovation Unit and suggested that actually a little bit more disaggregation of that centrally held funding would also be beneficial. So we can hopefully be able to leverage an awful lot more funding uh, that we control at an army headquarters level. And the subsequent um, approach to that would be to delegate that further down the organization to allow the customers to understand what their challenges and opportunities are, have a great deal more freedom to allow them to pursue those. Matching innovation to culture is obviously key. Um, We are a people-centric organization. And um, the last, CDF, um, always said that innovation is not necessarily going to be a high-tech, S&T-focused activity for the Army. That certainly has its place, but we will also g- generate benefit from a large number of smaller-scale um, innovations, and certainly if we're looking towards some of the, uh, the chunkier programs in the logistic area to reduce logistic need, there is a clear um, place for marginal gains across the whole breadth of activity that we are engaged in in order to deliver those improvements. We also need to harness the creativity of our people. They are SMEs in uh, close to 150 different specialist trade groups. There is no way that anyone can sit within a headquarters and direct what is a good idea that is going to deliver benefits on the ground. We've got to engage with those SMEs and make sure that we can drag out all the goodness from that and create um, a free exchange of ideas where we can exploit that um, that knowledge and enthusiasm. And that brings on to the last point, the partnering element. And this is fairly new at the moment, but we need to engage with SMEs from outside the normal um, spheres of uh, our activity. So getting engaged with some of the industry academia and other uh, SMEs who wouldn't necessarily ordinarily get involved with the defence sector is where we want to go next, ensuring that we are actually getting the very best that um, not only the organisation, but the market has to offer. (laughs) This second slide uh, provides an overview of uh, how we are doing at the moment. I deliberately haven't gone through uh, a... I whole sequence sequence pretty pictures of the projects because quite else, most of them are still in flight and I do not have the, uh, the resources to provide it. But this gives you an idea of, of the flow through um, the, uh, the aerial project board as it stands at the moment. A couple of areas that we've touched on this morning that aren't necessarily included here is um, uh, a project called Bozo, which um, the RCO will cover a little later on, which is looking at geolocation and environmental sensors. Uh, to support the, the supply chain. Um, and additive manufacturing, which we are linking in with OxySS in terms of driving that forward at a, uh, a level where we can experiment in different ways, giving, uh, giving capability into the hands of the users to see how we can develop it, but also standing on the shoulders of the good work that is being done in uh, the world maybe and uh, also looking across the pond through our LO network what the US Marine Corps are doing uh, in that area as well. So leveraging all the network we can. Um, We have mentioned the uh, robotic and autonomous systems and the automated last mile resupply. We are involved on the periphery of that. Um, A rather more direct involvement uh, is our work to um, support the use of unmanned air systems, which we have uh, around all the subject matter experts in Army headquarters deliberately to support one brigade in their um, deployment out in uh, Oman, which is where they are at the moment. Pushing out a load of COPS systems, very cheap relative to uh, some of the MOTS equipment we might be using, to develop a user understanding and inform the requirements (laughs) of a uh, capability that is pretty ubiquitous in the hands of our allies and certainly our adversaries, how do we develop that by shortcutting a fairly traditional approach to UAS at a unit and subunit level? And the answer is just give them some stuff and let them play around with it and work out what the requirement would be. Clearly that's not necessarily support folks at the moment, but once they have proved the um, the benefit, breaking down a load of barriers, not least with um, the military aviation authority in order to get the authorities to fly these things, we can then see how we can use these en masse across all the different functions, so going back into the CS and CSS capabilities to understand how um, giving them an extra uh, intelligence asset at that level can improve their their operations. Uh, Getting into some specific CSS elements, one of the three successful projects delivered at the end of last year was a piece of work for, again, Cox CSS. Uh, looking at uh, sustainment planning uh, models and tools. Um, any of the uh, officers who have had to struggle with developing a new sustainment plan without the help of a um, the resigned warrant officer with an Excel spreadsheet that he dug out for the last time that he did it. We have now provided some functionality that is a, a stable platform that you can provide that, that planning uh, work for. So shortcutting unnecessary uh, migratory work uh, in each scenario. Um, there is a piece of work that is going on at the moment, and very close to conclusion, for looking at uh, power and light supply to regimental aid Um This is a story that started with a, a then-private soldier within 16th medical regiment working out that while he was tinkering on, tinkering on his campervan, that there was probably a better way of providing light into a residential uh, tent setup. He knew that because his current situation was that uh, the generator set in all the N series was about a four-man lift, and uh, routinely, nobody took it on uh, exercise with them because there just simply wasn't enough room. So as a result, the revolutionary mode was pretty much headquarters and any other light source you could get. So, from that suggestion, we have now provided him with funding and support and using the um, integral facilities of our trials and development units, have for relatively peanuts come up with a solution that uses the existing power sources that are available to the individual on the ground, so boner batteries or bike batteries, and maybe even solar panels, to um, power a low-powered LED lighting system, which provides a true Almost uh, theatre level of lighting compared to what we've previously gone for um, for people who are operating in those places. And bearing in mind, if I was in that situation and I had the opportunity of either getting um, patched up by some with a head torch rather than someone who could actually see what he was doing, it's a fairly compelling argument to how we can push it through. Uh, it followed pretty much a traditional cabinet um, cycle, so we have gone from the initial idea to um, putting in a costing to DNS in round about six to nine months. Um, We've learnt a huge amount of lessons as we go, um, and it's been a hugely valuable exercise for all of us. Uh, Another one that was similarly trialled in the TDUs um, was uh, the idea of carabiners for recovery. Um, Recovery mechanics currently um, apparently struggle with uh, chains and shackles in order to uh, hitch up any vehicle that they're looking at dragging out. Uh, It means that that uh, recovery activity takes um, two or three people in order to manhandle the uh, the very bulky equipment out there. Uh, They're then working with uh, screwed together de shackles in order to make sure that they can hitch it up and drag it out. Um, Annoying enough if it is just a cold, wet day in the middle of a training area. Even more annoying if you're then in an operational environment and potentially putting yourself and other people at risk. Uh, By moving to a carabiner system with strops instead of chains, we're then able to provide far quicker and less um, labour-intensive solutions to how you recover vehicles. So that is going through trials at the moment and um, the the final uh, summary to to follow. Um, A final one just to illustrate how how broad and, um, and diverse some of the issues are. Uh, a conversation between one of the members of the Infantry Tribal Development Unit and uh, Hector Cock um, highlighted a problem with overcleaning of weapons. Anyone who has served uh, and uh, gone through the training regime where you are sat in a classroom for hours on end cleaning weapons until they are at the gleaming satisfaction of the colour sergeant, will understand how much time you spend them. But also anyone who is involved in the equipment support will understand the damage that it actually does to the weapons as well. So um, any negative activity that we have uh, continued for years. The idea here is to just uh, develop solvent bars and um, then just basically shoot your weapon at the end of an exercise providing a suitable level of cleaning, none of the scrubbing, none of the labors um, that you require in the current system and actually improving the, uh, the capability of the weapon but also if um, the uh, two of the forces that were Six or eight weeks long, run by um, the the infantry. They worked out they can save um, between ten and fifteen hours of training time by actually having a different approach to their weaponry. So it not only gives back in equipment support, it not only gives back in morale, but it also gives back in all the other areas that can provide uh, reinvestment elsewhere. Um, a final comment is that uh, it is not only about equipment. Um, and we are supporting a move from the support area to uh, run a reduced district need symposium in March next year. And we will be intimately involved in um, providing support to how they develop and uh, shape that activity as well. So we cut across everything. Uh, we are masters of no... Um, particular sphere, so um, please bear that in mind when you ask any detailed questions about anything I've talked about, you've pretty much had my subject matter expertise on all those, um, but we do um, provide the service which supports and facilitates and enables the Army to be far more innovative and really uh, the good um, value that already sits within the organisation. Thank you very much.
3: Good afternoon. So, I've been recently seconded into the J Hub from my army day job, which just comes a bit of a shock, and been landed right in the middle of that amazing invasion process. And here is what I understand of it at this time. I'm not going to try and recreate what Paddy Green spoke to you all about last time on this, uh, at this conference, uh, but I think there's a couple of points that I'd just like to reiterate because they're important. So, the race veteran of, of the J-Hub is to do these things. It's a slightly different approach to other innovation activities in defence. Um, what we're really getting to is that it's that one Putting the capability into the hands of the user, that is the, the key focus for the J-Hub. You know, matching that business need, you know, the user with the problem to some technology or some processes or something else that's going to assist them with that problem. And generally improve our lot. So this is the great thing about JHub. Extremely short chain of command. Four star, two star, heads JHub. So very, very short decision cycle. And we connect the users on the left with potential people that can provide answers to problems on the right. Um, note here, you'll see the little list on the left-hand side. Logistics is right down the bottom. I don't know if that's intentional or not. My job is to try and <coughs> clear the to the top. <laughs> So here's our funnel. We've got a vertical one. the other ones have had horizontal ones, but it pretty much does the same thing. So we've got a hopper of ideas at the top. So we're bringing together the user and the problem, and then the opportunity assessment, which is a sort of mini-dragons den, if you will. Um, this, is, this is our chance to actually talk about that problem and get sort of quick approval to proceed to pilot. Um, and then to get things into the pilot. So you mentioned earlier on, where's the money? Well, there's some. There's head JP delegated authority for a million pounds. So to to most of you heavy hitters in industry, that might see, not seem like a huge amount of money. Bear in mind we're in an organisation where we need two star sign off for a five hundred pound aircraft ticket. So you know having an Afternock colonel with access to a million pounds of spending money is, is fairly novel for us. Assuming the pilot goes well, we can then take that forward to the four star renovation board. Where we have access to greater support, more cash, um, you know, and, and just a just a wider range of defence you know, buy-in for for the solutions to that problem. So, how does it look in numbers? Well, like everything else, you know, there's not gr- a great amount of great ideas that have gone in at the top of the hopper. Um, huge amount of industry engagement. In general Devil having breakfast with innovative companies, filter friends and other organisations that can help. Uh, so huge amount of problems. The numbers won't be quite right, but they were different yesterday, they'll be different the day before, they'll be different again tomorrow. It, it all changes on a daily basis. So lots of things get rejected. So JHEP is really comfortable with handling risk and rejecting proposals which don't seem right. So so it's key that we need to get that value proposition correct. You know, we need to actually figure out, you know, what does the user really need, and and not not faff around the edges with unnecessary um, gold-plating of process and procedure and verbosity in business cases. So then we come down to a smaller amount of problems, and then there's a prioritisation process, and we're left with a much smaller number of problems that we can really focus on. By the time they get to this stage, the proposals all have support from their respective sponsoring organizations, and the J-Hub then provides that expertise and cash, and the ability to accelerate these few main proposals down through pilot and potentially into core, core delivery. So, so this is the key thing about the J-Hub, and this is, this is where I sort of slightly depart from what Captain Paddy said last time. So for us, the, the sweet spot of innovation lies between this this idea that the proposal is desirable, feasible, and viable. And where all those things line up, that is where our fantastic opportunity lies. So rather than a business case, we just have 23 questions. Um, and, And in answering those 23 questions, we quickly establish whether or not the sponsor organization is really prepared to support these initiatives. Uh, whether the delivery resource is lined up and ready to go, whether or not we can answer tricky questions about IPR, or who's going to measure the KPIs, or where does the project management resource come from. Because these things are not inherent in the JHub, nor are they really in any other innovation organisation. People still need to project manage this stuff. So by answering these 23 questions, we're we're thinking about challenging the hypothesis. we're, We're thinking about making sure that our value proposition is so that it actually attracts the funding and gets the support that it needs. If we get these things right, then we have a sweet spot, which means we can proceed. You know, that everything's aligned and good to go. And finally, we want to do this. You know, we want to use this opportunity with j to accelerate some of our logistic initiatives. So, from my limited experience with j which admittedly has been about three months now, so what I see happening is not merely a, an organization that is matching some nice looking toys with media users and, it, and there's that superficial sort of impression that it, that it seems to give. And what I sense is there's, a, there's something deeper going on here. What we're doing is we're, we're connecting, um, connecting users with um, small and small medium enterprises that have you know, great innovative properties. Yeah, so, so we're having that more um, honest conversation between Industry and our users. You know, we're creating the conditions for innovation. You know, innovation is not necessarily the, the high TRL component, but the conditions under which innovation can thrive. You know, we're recognising that the quality of expertise uh, and, and knowledge is, is not necessarily equivalent to, to one status or position in a rank in an abstract hierarchy. You know, we're able to extract that expertise wherever it might lie. But of course, the, the thing is, it, you know, it's a departure from regular defense business. There's no business case. You know, there's, no, there's no heavyweight requirement setting. For some people, you know, this this is a big departure because we're used to these kind of acquisition processes. But now we're doing something really don't different that doesn't require those processes. Right, it's something entirely like different in itself. For some people, that's a bit uncomfortable, which is great because it means that whatever, whatever the J1 hub is doing, it's working, you know, it's creating that vibrant debate, the the vigorous to and fro that's necessary for these kind of conversations to to thrive. So now the second part of the conversation, I'm quickly going to go into what we're actually doing. So, as we've seen already, the most exciting proposition we have at the moment is making these alterations to the defence statistic framework. So one might think that sprucing up some policy isn't quite really the most exciting thing in the world. But just imagine if we now have the ability for users to to suddenly come up with a much quicker way of extracting the right policy things and positioning a cargo of humanitarian aid to get out to a, just an earthquake victim center in three days rather than six. You know, things that, even just a a tweak of policy can have a a massive effect on, you know, people that need uh, things to be done with them. So not only is this initiative gonna create, um, you know, a, a better user experience, but it's going to save could as well because it means that our users are going to be putting the processes into practice, the direct interpretations of defence policy that will allow us to get it right first time every time so that we don't get some fines and punitive costs from HMRC because we've failed to uh, you know, understand some ACTO or ITAR regulation or we haven't imported or exported something correctly. So it's a much better chance of meeting those targets the first time on time, not making mistakes and not getting the fines. So part of it is a rich user experience. Part of it is cost avoidance. But either way, a really, really strong value proposition. And just think what else we could do with this. Potentially natural language processing applied onto complex policy areas. Where else could we use that? So there's a big 10x proposition. We could scale that out, not only from a minimum number of users to a much wider array of users um, We can also do it with other areas of defense policy. So things like JSP 604 or you know, other complex areas where we can apply the same kind of techniques to. Indeed, the, they've already successfully trialed something whereby nearly the entire James catalogue is now available to search. So as a logistician, if you wish to um, ask a question of this James database, you know, something like WebMail and the C-130 in the Middle East, so, just a natural language query like that can return a whole list of places where we can, you know, where where, where we can plan on sending that kind of aircraft. You know, very very quickly and effectively, we can ask those same kind of questions through the defence logistic framework. So, another another cracking strong value proposition. So, provenance traceability of air engineering components. So, again, you know, centered on the user, the the ability to put the power of the engineering and safety case database in the hands of the flight line engineer so that they can make an instant decision on whether or not to fit a particular type of spale or or gadget onto an aircraft. Now, some some big aircraft parts already come with this information, but not everything does. So a three inch titanium bolt might not necessarily have an RFID code attached to it or or some detailed asset tracking, But but the aircraft engineer nevertheless needs to know that it's safe to fit that thing onto an aircraft. So here is a problem that's been evolving over the, over the last decade. Finally, technology gives us the ability to, to do something to improve the loss of the user, which will also have a knock-on effect in terms of airframe availability, you know, uh, reduced buying <coughs> you, know, you name it. I mean, all kinds of things will spring from this. So this, is, this one is to do with our next generation of the handheld device barcoding and asset scanning and so on. So in this case, rather than having our current solution locked up in one device which has all the software on it, so we're now looking at a generic industry device which is creditable, that the Navy can take to sea, uh, you know, robust catalog service provided item. But the trick is actually getting the applications onto the barcoding device in the first place in such a way that it can exchange the data with our current and future pandemic systems. So on the face of it, this is something that industry have been doing for years, but because we have slightly different requirements, not the least security, we've got to go about it in a, in a slightly different way. So we've heard about the importance of data today. So here's another one that we don't, what we want to do here is to use potentially some kind of advanced technology component to automatically go over our data. In this case, it's two particular data sets in DNS, it's lead time and failure rate. Just by improving the data quality and availability of those two data sets, we've got the potential to improve the, um, cheapen the annual buy plan of engineering spares by up to 15 million pounds per year, potentially. and And that's all in just improving this data. And also obviating the need to keep going over these expensive periodic data cleansing exercises, which can cost us in excess of you know, three quarters of a million pounds in some cases, and that's, and that's just to go over and correct our own data. So imagine the power of having an, an autonomous, automatic engineering component that can that can just do that for us, work quietly away in the background. And again, an exciting proposition. Only two data sets are included here. Imagine if we can do that across multiple data sets. You know, our 126 data feeds that we have in army and and others elsewhere in defence. Huge, huge potential. Moving on to fuel forecasting. So, so by building analytic dashboards, getting getting the data feeds correct and yeah, and Putting all that information into the hands of decision makers through intelligent dashboards that give them you know, actionable insight because of the analytics that is presented before them. So we can now make, start making decisions you know, in a much more intelligent way about how much fuel we need to buy, how much fuel we need to keep in stock. So potential reductions there to drive down unnecessary defence infrastructure, unnecessary fuel purchasing, um, you know, and better ways of better ways of consuming the fuel which. By. So again, exciting opportunities. Yeah, fuel I think is a very underrated commodity at the moment. It's been largely ignored for a few years, and we've ended up with a sort of quite a wide range of um, seemingly disconnected systems with, with which to manage our fuel across defence. So again, a, you know, a really exciting opportunity to start bringing all of that in together, you know, making a much more coherent analysis of what defence's fuel requirement is. And then lastly, this is so. Uh, this is an air command initiative to to bring together a, a machine learning component which can intelligently forecast um, air uh, demand, so commodity demands um, for air command. So fine composition for this one, perhaps a, a little bit weaker because there's other areas of defence where we're already doing this. But you know, another example of you know, where we've got strong proposals which don't need to be rejected just yet. They all go through for consideration and, and end up you know, with proper consideration, um, examination across defense you know, creates creating that value proposition. Mm-hmm. Too. And, if, and even if some of these might not survive, you know, the, the work that is done is not wasted. So we learn in JPEG from our mistakes or from things that haven't gone well. We can refocus that in terms of wider logistic enterprise then, and um, learn so that we can create stronger value propositions for investment decisions later on. And that's all I have. Thank you. Good afternoon.
4: And um, so there's two main components to my brief, which will take up the next uh, five to ten minutes, roughly. First is a very brief overview of what the Rapid Capabilities Office is and where we come from. And then, secondly, is an introduction to Project Bozal, which is a a logistics project of uh, relevance, I hope, to at least some of you in this room. So, what is the need for an RCO or Rapid Capabilities Office? Um, A few of the uh, challenges which led to the creation of the organisation are, are on screen now but the short of it is that there was a belief between, uh, within their camp that we were not making the best use of the good ideas of our people and that we were not, uh, our processes prevented us from uh, making the most of the emerging technologies uh, in a timely manner. So what does the RCO need to do about this? Uh, the answers to the previous points are now on the screen. But again, in short, um, The answer is seize the opportunity presented by emerging technologies through innovative and rapid delivery to the warfighter. And innovation for us is a tool to our delivery, that's why we're a capabilities office, not an innovation team, it's just a tool we use to facilitate our delivery. So from this we take the following uh, following mission, which is notable only really in its simplicity Um, and it's designed to give us the flexibility to deliver as we see fit. So what advantages has the RCO been given in uh, delivering these capabilities to the warfighter? There are four main ones, Um, the first uh, is uh, our people, Um, not to blow our own trumpets, it says talented up there, but it's not really about the talent of the individual, it's uh, about the diversity of the team. So we we take personnel from all trades and ranks within the Air Force and put them into a flat hierarchy where everyone's on an equal footing. We also have embedded commercial, financial, and DSTL personnel who engage with our projects from the earliest stage and are therefore fully invested and in a position to accelerate their elements of the project. And it's those embedded personnel who really give us a lot of the rapidity which we're able to put into our projects. Um, The next three points, so empowered, strong ethos, and trusted. um, I'll refer back to what the uh, minister said in his opening address, I guess. Um, And that's that innovation can only really take place if given the space to do so. And these three points are all just about creating the environment where people can succeed in innovatively delivering their task, if you like. So the empowerment from our hierarchy, Uh, that we uh, have the freedom to maneuver within our project to really do whatever we want with the project. As a project manager, I'm given complete uh, freedom over my project. Um, And so long as we don't break the law essentially, our hierarchy are uh, are okay with what we do. Um, There's there's an element that won't get caught. (laughs) Um, It's great to have that freedom, but also the support behind that freedom. In terms of, if you do get yourself in problems, Have issues, fail early, then you know the hierarchy have got your back and you know that they're as engaged as you are and they're willing to fight the corner at their level early. And it's the early engagement of the hierarchy that again provides a real advantage to the rapid delivery, especially at the early stages of the project. And that leads into trusted as well. So it's a big step for a one star uh, or a three star board to put the the power of a a whole project into the hands of an airman or a sporting leader in my case and just to let them run free with it. So you have to have a high degree of uh, risk appetite um, and trust in your people. And uh, We report by exception, uh, not by routine, and uh, it, it, it all comes down to the trust of the hierarchy. And the last one there, strong ethos, again it's all about creating that space in which for innovation to thrive. Um, so on-screen now are just uh, a whole bunch of random buzzwords and uh, phrases, uh, phrases which make up uh, the core values of the RCO. Um, they are, as I say, they are a bit gimmicky, but if you create an environment where everyone lives by these values, then we believe we can succeed in innovation. And the running through, uh, being through all of this, is speed. So we're encouraged to. Uh, fail fast if necessary, but understand the reasons why and learn from it. Um, and also to deliver early. So good enough is good enough as opposed to waiting out for the perfect solution. So there's just a quick snapshot of the RCO portfolio in year, uh, just to give you uh, a rough idea of the sort of scale of projects we're dealing with. We're about a 12 man team at the minute, so uh, that's what we're able to. Uh, go through in terms of throughput in there. Uh, Where are we going? Um, A few points on the screen there, but the two I'll draw out are, first of all, we expect to expand both in terms of numbers of personnel, numbers of projects, and our remit. So uh, the one at the top there is, we're looking to move away from just dealing with solely equipment-based projects and into people and process projects as well. And the second point I'll we'll draw out is we're seeking a means of validating our success as an innovation organisation. So, uh, very shortly, we hope to become <coughs> the first defence organisation to gain accreditation with the Innovation Government uh, Professional Body, the IKE, um, which we think will give a, a good validation to our board that we're going in the right direction. Um, so, on to Project Ozo, which hopefully is a, the bit that will be of a bit more interest to most most of you in the room. Um, very quick overview of what it is, it's a proof of concept capability, that's all it is at the minute. It's funded through the DIU Innovation Fund uh, and being delivered in partnership with Digital Catapult, um, which for those of you who aren't aware, um, they're basically a part of government funded organisation set up to encourage early adoption of emerging technologies. Um, and they're, uh, they're a great asset for us within the RCO because of that government fund funding which gives us a lot of freedom when engaging with them. Um, and I should point out that proposal has been delivered in collaboration with both air and AERIAL, so the Navy and the Army. Uh, We've got five capability trials, uh, either ongoing or scheduled. And um, so it is a truly joint uh, project in its delivery. So what is it? Um, It's an Internet of Things sensor network, um, basically different from similar GPS-type tracking networks in that it makes use of long-range, low-powered WAN infrastructure, uh, which has various benefits, which I'll talk to you at length about later if necessary, but I won't bore you with now. Um, But that's the game-changing element in terms of introduction onto air force base, as far as we're concerned. So on the screen you can see an example in the middle there of the sensor, which is about the size of your thumb, and the network gateway which is uh, about the size of a household alarm box, basically. So what does it do? Uh, we're using it for remote environmental condition monitoring munitions, so tracking temperature, humidity and shock of munitions in storage and in transit, not when on the aircraft. And remote asset tracking of high value equipment around the airfield, Um, and for our purposes that is aircraft around equipment. Um, As I say, we will track it in transit, but in a non-broadcasting capacity. So you can see on the screen there, we turn it off and then download the data at the other end. That's a very uh, basic network diagram for how it works. So the sensor sending its data back to the gateway via the LoRaWAN uh, protocol, then into the LoRa Cloud uh, via, at the minute, on our trial of coins, via the 3G, 4G phone network, and then back to the consumer IT and onto our dashboard, which is the picture at the bottom <coughs> right hand corner there. So benefits, um, I won't labor too much because they're fairly self-explanatory. Um, Obviously we're remoting uh, a process from the munitions monitoring side. Um, We're adding a preventative element in terms of the system generating alerts if we're nearing thresholds or or have exceeded thresholds. And the data being collected by the system can feed into larger programs looking at uh, munition life extension. And the benefits from an asset tracking point of view, again, self-explanatory, things stuff faster, be that for use, uh, for audit purposes, or for the maintainer to, to track their maintenance. Um, and obviously, the aim is to reduce the number of lost or misplaced items. Uh, the key point for lower one uh, especially when ca- compared to GPS capabilities, is accuracy. At the minute for our trial we're aiming for an accuracy of around 50 square metres which compared to the the one square metre you could expect from GPS isn't great. But it meets our requirements in that it identifies the hangar or the uh, operating area where the equipment is and it has the benefit over GPS that the signal can actually penetrate into and out of uh, the hardened structures which is a lot harder to achieve with GPS. So that's a very quick overview of the trial. Finally, 50 sensors being trialed across uh, the asset tracking, munitions monitoring tasks, uh, running until the end of October, at which point we'll feed back our findings. And that's just a snapshot of the, uh, the dashboard which presents the data to the user. Um, I should add at this point that we have a stand set up through, uh, by the tea break area. Um, so, if you actually want to see the system live or find out any, anything more about it, please pop through and uh, have a chat with us and we'll happily see you through it. Um, as I mentioned at the start, it is a joint project. Um, they have two trials lined up uh, as the Navy element. The first is uh, a two week deployment for environmental monitoring in the magazines of Type 45s, and the second is essentially a capability demonstration. As part of Sustainable Warrior. Uh, Ariel and the Army have uh, only just uh, come into the project, so they're still developing their requirement. Mm. But the only indication is that it's going to be very similar to what we the Air Force and the, the Navy have done, um, but focusing on creating the network in a deployed
1: environment.